Happy New Year. This is the first time we've gathered together as the church in 2018. I hope all of you had an enjoyable weekend. Um, how, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions already? So there's some of you, okay. I confess that I have not made any as of yet because, frankly, I just haven't had time to even think about it. And so one of my New Year's resolutions is needs to be better time management. But as I was preparing for the sermon and thinking about, you know, what should I preach, because um, Essen just gave me literally a blank check, which you should probably not do to preachers, but um, <clears throat> thinking about what should I preach on the, on the first Sunday of the new year, um, and I was looking at different things online just to try to get some, some inspiration and thoughts, um, I came across some interesting New Year's resolutions that people have made. One of the ones that I, I really liked was a young woman, her resolution was that she resolved um, to quit all of her bad habits, but then she realized that nobody likes quitters. <laughs> now, I think that's true of all of us, right? We all make resolutions, and, and many times we fail to keep those resolutions. Um, why do we do this? Why do we make resolutions? Well, I think it's because we all realize there are things in our lives that we want to change. There are things that we would like to do differently. And the new year gives us an opportunity for a fresh start. Resolutions provide us with an opportunity, with a chance for a, a better life, a different life. And another person's resolution was this, that, that they resolved to, to live a better life. And then she went on and said, therefore I need to find somebody to trade lives with me. Now, that was meant to be humorous, but it also resonated with me, and I'm sure it resonates with you, because how often have you had that thought? How often have you wished you could trade your life with somebody else? that you wish you could live the life somebody else is living. But what if I told you that there is somebody out there, there is someone who is willing to trade his life for yours? That is one of, the, one of the reasons why the gospel is such good news, is that in the gospel we see that Jesus is willing to trade his life for yours. And that is what is known as, as the glorious exchange. And that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we'll find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I encourage you to open your Bibles there. And I'll be reading uh, for us verses 17 through 21. So I ask you to, to stand in reverence of God's word. Second Corinthians 5 verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is living and active. We thank you for this powerful and wonderful reminder that Jesus became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would give us understanding and clarity as to what this means and what are the implications of this wonderful truth. And I pray as we spend this time looking at your word, we pray that Jesus would be exalted. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. 
So this morning, I have a deal of a lifetime for you. And that is this. I am willing to trade any of you this red paperclip. What are you willing to trade for this? Now, keep in mind, yes, this is a paperclip. But keep in mind, you can use this paperclip to hold together valuable paper so that you won't lose any of them. Or if you're really good, you can use this paperclip, you can unfold it, and you can use it to pick a lock. You can use it if you've ever had that time where that CD or DVD got stuck in your computer disk drive. You can use a paperclip to manually eject that CD and solve that frustration. So this is worth a lot. What are you willing to trade me for this? Well, a little over 10 years ago, there was a man by the name of Kyle McDonald. And he was sitting at his desk one day just thinking to himself, you know, I really want a house. He was in his early 20s, and that became his dream. He wanted a house. But there was a problem. He had no money and no resources. And so as he was sitting there thinking to himself, how can I get myself a house? He happened to notice on his desk a red paper clip. And so he started thinking to himself, huh, I wonder what I could do with that. That's my resource. I have a red paper clip. And he remembered from his childhood playing a game, which many of you might have played, called Bigger and Better. And that's, that's a game where you start with an item, like a pencil or a paperclip, and through a series of trades, you see if you can get something that's bigger and better, and you see over a particular time frame, what do you end up with? And he, he knew about that game, and he was thinking about it, and he's like, I'm going to do that with this red paperclip. And so he went on to Craigslist, and he put an ad out saying, I have a red paperclip. We'll take anything for this paperclip. And to his surprise, later that day, two young women responded and said they would trade him a pen. They had a pen that looked like a fish. They would trade him a pen. Well, over the course of about a year and 14 trades later, he ended up with a house completely paid for. He went from a paperclip to a house. This is a true story. You can look it up. And in the process of these trades, at one point in time, he had a record contract. At another point in time, he had a speaking role in a movie. He met Corbin Bernstein through this. All started with a red paperclip. It was a great exchange. He traded something of, of little to no worth for a house. And as great as that exchange was, it pales. It pales in comparison to the exchange that we experience in the gospel. And we find this glorious exchange in verse 21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sin. Why does he do this? Why does Jesus make this exchange? Well, he made this exchange because we needed him to. Jesus is our only hope. One of the implications of verse 21 is that we need the righteousness of God. Why do we need this righteousness? Why do we need the righteousness of God? Well, we need the righteousness of God because God is righteous and we are not. God created all of us to be in a relationship with him. And that is impossible as long as God remains righteous and we remain unrighteous. Habakkuk tells us that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. You see, sin and unrighteousness cannot be allowed in the presence of God. Because God is holy. He is pure. He is good and perfect. And we are not Paul makes that abundantly clear. Paul, Paul makes it very clear who we are. Listen to what he says in Romans 3. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good. Not even one. And in a few verses later, he goes on and says that we all have sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That is our condition. That is our nature. We are all sinners. We are all unrighteous. That is why sin, that is why sin is our most fundamental problem. You see, humanity's fundamental problem, it is not our health. It is not poverty. It is not injustice. It is not inequality. It is not the state of our environment. Man's fundamental problem is not our own unhappiness. These are all important matters. But all of them are a result of an even greater problem. Man's fundamental problem, our fundamental problem, your fundamental problem is sin. And this is so important to understand. Why? Because if we do not see that sin is our biggest problem, that sin is our most fundamental problem, we will continue to look in all the, to all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways to find solutions to our problems. And we will never truly be who we were meant to be. Until sin is taken care of, we will never be fully and truly satisfied and fulfilled because that can only happen within a right relationship with God. Sin makes that impossible. Douglas Kelly, who was one of my professors in seminary, this is what he wrote. He says, The greatest problem of every man and woman, little though they realize it, is that we are finite, limited beings, guilty of infinite sin against an infinite, holy, wonderful God. That is why we need our sin to be taken care of. That is why we need our sin to be removed. That is why we need the righteousness of God. Now, there are only two solutions to this problem. One solution is that God could just let go of his righteousness. He could become unrighteous and then be able to relate to us on our level. But there is a serious problem with that option. If God were to do that, if God were to become unrighteous, he would cease to be God. And the the fabric and foundation of the entire universe would be destroyed. But thankfully, we know that that's not even a possibility. Because God does not change. And he is righteous. He is holy. He is good because that is his nature. The Psalms tell us that God is righteous in all of his ways. So the other solution to this problem is that we could become righteous. And that is exactly what happens in this exchange. We become the righteousness of God. How does that happen? Well, look again at verse 21. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul, he's talking about Jesus in this verse. This exchange, is, it's only possible through Christ. It's only possible in Jesus. Jesus is uniquely qualified. And, and, and Paul points out three things here. First, Jesus knew no sin. He was not a sinner. He never committed any sin at all. Jesus was absolutely perfect and holy in everything he ever did. He was absolutely perfect and holy in every word he ever spoke. Jesus was absolutely perfect and holy in every thought that he ever had. All of his motives were holy and without sin. Now that can't be said about me. And that can't be said about any of you as well. 
As a matter of fact, if you were to look through the course of history, if you were to look at the billions and billions of people that have walked this planet, that cannot be said about a single one of them. Jesus is the only one that was without sin. And Scripture makes this clear time and time again, that Jesus was without sin. 1 Peter 2, 22-23 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Or again, in 1 John 3, 5, it says, In him, in Jesus, there is no sin. Jesus knew no sin. And the reason why he knew no sin wasn't because he was protected in some special way or because he was isolated. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted. But unlike us who fall into sin, he never sinned. Now you might be thinking, well, of course Jesus didn't sin. He was God. Well, and that's true. That's important. Jesus is fully God. And as God, he cannot sin. However, what is vitally important for us to understand is that Jesus was without sin in his humanity. From his birth to his death, he never sinned. He lived a perfect, holy life. So as as some may claim that Jesus was a good man, that's true. But Jesus was more than a good man. He was a perfect, holy, sinless man. And that leads to the second thing that Paul points out in this verse. It says, God made Jesus to be sin. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner or that he suddenly started to commit sin. It means that Jesus became our sin bearer. God has taken all of our sin. He's taken all of our sin and he's transferred it on to Jesus. He bore the weight and the shame and the guilt of our sin. The theological word for this is imputation. That our sins have been, they've been imputed to Jesus. And God then responds to Jesus as the sinner. He treats Jesus as the one who committed all of those sins. And it's even more than that. He treats Jesus as the worst of all sinners. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross. And that is why we see here in verse 21, that's why Paul tells us that Jesus did this for our sake. It was for your sake. Jesus, who was without sin, became sin for your sake. If you've trusted in Jesus, then all of your sins, all of your past, your present, and all of your future sins, they have been imputed to Christ. They have been transferred from your account to his. And he went to the cross to pay the ultimate penalty for your sins. Jesus, on the cross, he exhausted the wrath of God that we deserved as he hung there and died. And he did this for your sake. That is why Jesus hung on the cross. It was for your sake. Because of Jesus, there is no more wrath for you. Because of Jesus, your sins can no longer be held against you. Because of him, you are now seen and is accepted as someone who has never sinned. And Paul alludes to this in verse 19. He says, In Christ God was reconciled in the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against you. That is, if you are a believer in Christ, that is true for you. God no longer counts your trespasses against you. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's, that's the first half of this glorious exchange. All the guilt, all the shame, all the condemnation, 
of our sin has been taken from us. And it has been placed upon Jesus. That in and of itself would be great news. But that's not all. Jesus, not only only does he take something from us, but he also gives us something. He gives us his righteousness. And that's the third thing that Paul makes clear here. Jesus is righteous, and through him we become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus was not only sinless, but he was also holy and righteous. He fully obeyed and fulfilled God's law. And this is very important. You see, when our sins are imputed to Jesus, we are given a clean slate. But that is not enough. Jesus also imputes to us his righteousness. And so therefore, when we come to Christ, we don't don't only just get a clean slate, we get a righteous slate. God not only views us as perfectly sinless, but he now views us as perfectly obedient and righteous. Both are necessary. So if you are here this morning and you are trusting in Jesus, you are righteous. Right here and right now, that is true for you. And there's nothing that anyone can do to change that. There's nothing that you can do to hurt your standing with God. There's nothing that you can do to improve your standing with God. If you trust in him, you are righteous. Through Jesus, you've been forgiven. Through him, you've been made righteous. Once again, Doug Kelly summarizes this well. This is what he says happens during a glorious exchange. He says, God the Father takes all of my sin, shame, and guilt with the consequential death in in hell and places it on the holy, innocent, righteous head of God the Son. In exchange, the Father takes all of the Son's holiness, obedience, love, and purity and places it on my poor, sinful head so that I am made fit for heaven. So we see this glorious exchange, it involves two imputations. Our sin is imputed to Christ, and his perfect righteousness is imputed to us. This is the most lopsided trade and the most profound trade in human history. And if you are a believer in Christ, Jesus has made this exchange with you. And you have been made fit for heaven. Now there's nothing that any of us did to earn this. We don't deserve it. But Jesus made this trade with us nonetheless. Why? Why does Jesus make this trade? Why does he make this exchange? Well, th- throughout Paul's letters, Paul uses, gives us several reasons why Jesus makes this exchange. And he uses different metaphors, different types of language. Sometimes he talks about it from a, from a legal standpoint. That Jesus did this because we needed to be justified. We needed to be declared innocent. We needed to be freed from guilt. Sometimes he uses the language of the temple, that we are, we, are, we are tainted by sin and we need purification. And so Jesus did this to make atonement for our sins. Sometimes Paul uses the language from the marketplace, that Jesus did this because we are all debtors and we needed to be redeemed, and so Jesus has redeemed us. Well, in this passage, Paul is using relational language. Because of sin, all of us have been alienated from God. Our relationship with God has been severed, has been damaged. And therefore, we need reconciliation. Our sin was imputed to Christ, and his righteousness has been imputed to us so that we would be reconciled to God. That is what Paul talks about in verses 17 through 20. And the really really amazing thing that we see here is that it is God is the one who initiates this. God is the one who 
seeks reconciliation with us. He is the source of our reconciliation. Look, look at verse 18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And again in verse 19, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God is the one who reconciles us. He did this by sending his Son to live a righteous and holy life, and then to become sin, so that all who trusted him would become the righteousness of God, and our relationship with God would be restored. But what makes this so amazing is, is to think about the fact that God is the one who is the offended party. He's the one who's been offended by our sin. The reason that we need to be reconciled with God is because we sinned against him. We are the offenders. It is our sin that has alienated us from God. Therefore, we should be the ones to initiate reconciliation. But sin makes that impossible because we are dead in our sins and trespasses. Thankfully, God is merciful. And God loves you. And therefore, he removed that which is the cause of anger and of alienation by transferring it to a proper substitute, by transferring it to his own son. You see, God could have just abandoned us, but he doesn't. God doesn't abandon you. He doesn't reject you. Instead, he sent Jesus to take your place. He sent Jesus so that we would be reconciled to him. Reconciliation is is holy and fully a work of God. The gospel is about the Father's love for us. It is about what he does for us. It is not about what we do for him. Listen to what Derek Thomas says about this. He says, the good news of the gospel is God has stepped in. The initiative, the determination, the power of a sovereign God at work going into the far country to seek and to save that which is lost. God is the one who does this. God created us to be in a relationship with him. It is only in that relationship that we are truly and fully complete and whole. It is only in that relationship that we can truly be happy. Sin broke that relationship, and it left us in a state of utter hopelessness and helplessness. But God loved us. So God pursued you, and he reconciled us to himself. And he does this in such a way where his justice and his holiness are upheld and where sin is still properly judged. Our reconciliation is a gift from God. We don't deserve it. We certainly haven't earned it. It is an act of God's grace alone, and it can be received only through faith in Christ alone. The moment that you believe on him, you are reconciled. Your sins are no longer held against you. You are righteous. And your relationship with the creator of the heavens and earth has been restored. Now what is the result of this tremendous gift? What is the fruit of reconciliation? Well, Paul mentions two things in this passage. Reconciliation changes our identity and it changes our purpose. First, because we've been reconciled, we have a new identity. Look at verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Now, what does that mean? Well, we are all born in sin. We are all born in Adam. What that means is that Adam is our federal head, that he is our representative. 
It also means that we carry around the sinful nature that came to us when Adam first fell into sin in the garden. Fundamentally, that is our identity. That was our identity. That we were sinners, that we were in Adam. Well, that is no longer true. We are now in Christ. Jesus is our federal head. He is our representative. We are no longer ruled by sin. Rather, we are now ruled and guided by the Holy Spirit. We, are no, long, we no longer have hearts of stones that are dead in sin and trespasses. But we have hearts of flesh that loves and follows God. And this new identity affects the way that we, we view the world. And it affects the way that we live our lives. You know, we now live by new principles and new rules. We now have new motives and new goals. As Paul tells us in Ephesians, we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The moment you believed in Christ, you were changed. The moment you believed in him, you were a new creation. Because we are now in Christ. This means that you are no longer defined by your past mistakes. You are no longer defined by your current struggles. You are no longer defined by your biological family. You are defined by who you are in Christ. We are no longer under judgment. We are no longer alienated from God. We are now his sons and daughters. We are now heirs with Christ. We no longer live under the curse, waiting for the judgment of God to come upon us. Rather, we now live under blessing, waiting to be received by God in the new heavens and new earth. Now, we don't always fully understand this, and we certainly don't always fully experience this right now. And that is because we still have sinful flesh. We still live in a world of sin. We still do battle with sin in the world. But that does not change who you are. You are a new creation. You are in Christ. And that makes all the difference. Listen to what John Newton wrote several centuries ago. He says, I am not what I ought to be. And I am not what I want to be. But I am not what I expect to be one of these days. I am going to be like Christ. But by God's grace, I am not what I used to be. I am not the old man. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the old things are passed away. And all things become new. God has changed your identity. And he has also given you a new purpose. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And as his ambassadors, we represent Jesus to the world. And he has given us a specific message and a specific ministry. We are called to proclaim the message of reconciliation. You see that in verse 19. And we are called to practice the ministry of reconciliation. We see that in verse 18. And Paul provides us with an example of this in practice. At the end of verse 20, he implores the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. And we are called to do the same. We're, we're called to implore people to be reconciled to God, whether it be our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers. We are called to tell them the good news of the gospel, to tell them that God loves them, and that through Christ he is reconciling the world to himself, and that that can only happen in and through Jesus. That is our message. And our ministry is to practice reconciliation. We are to rejoice in this gift that God has given us. And we are to recognize, all of us are to recognize that we are new creations, that we are all in Christ. And we should seek to be reconciled to one another because we are not just new creations individually, but we are also being formed into a new creation corporately, which is the body of Christ. 
In Christ, we are new creations being formed into a new creation, which is the church. We are all united to Christ. And not only are we to proclaim the message of reconciliation in this world, but we are called to practice reconciliation with one another. You see, God was infinitely offended by our sin. And yet, he loved us, and he pursued us, and he sought to be reconciled with us. We can only finitely offend one another. And therefore, we're called to do the same. We're called to love one another, to pursue one another, and to seek reconciliation with one another. That is only possible through Jesus. It's only possible because of what he has done. It's only possible because we have been changed by him. So I start off by telling you about Kyle McDonald. He <laughs> took this red paper clip, and he eventually traded it for a house. That was a great exchange. Jesus has traded you his righteousness for your sins. That is a glorious exchange. And because of that, you have been reconciled to God. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus humbled himself that he became a man, that he lived a perfect, holy, righteous life, fully obedient to your law. We thank you, Lord, that you made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here this morning that does not understand that or does not have a relationship with you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that they would come to know Jesus and that they would be new creations they'd be united to Christ. And for those of us who are trusting in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand more deeply what it means to be reconciled to God, what it means that we are in Christ. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would help equip us and enable us to be your ambassadors. Lord, I pray that you would help us and equip us to seek reconciliation with one another. Lord, we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed each of us, we thank you for the ways that you've blessed Tabernacle and the ways you continue to use us to minister to our community. We pray that we would boldly proclaim the message of reconciliation and that we would practice reconciliation.